Welcome to the Backyard Professor videos. I have two wonderful guests in studio, Derek Lambert of Myth Vision and Dr. Richard Carrier, worldwide renowned mythicist, Jesus scholar, Old Testament and ancient and New Testament history. So let's get this show on the road. We want a boogie. <laughs> Shout out to everybody who's here. Looks like Trevor Luke, Dan Bogle, Elisa Gallien. Welcome, Doug Vincent. Woohoo! Yeah. And uh, Dan Bogle, welcome, my man. And Wendy Rowland, thank you for all for showing up. Uh, I have two gentlemen I want to introduce you to who needs no introduction because you all are already familiar with these two guys from other areas, books, podcasts, videos, etc. And I happen to uh, wrangle them into my show, Derek Lambert of Myth Vision. Say hello, young man. Hola, como estas? Hey, foreign language already. I speak and in tongues. <laughs> How you guys doing? Good. Yeah. Yeah, actually, yeah, we did. We had a somewhat restful day today. We did a lot, but this week has it wasn't been... as intense as we've we've been working really hard. So we're kind of exhausted. We, you we, most will, we will get to that. That's one reason why I was <laughs> so wanting you on my show because you have some exciting news. But we're going to wait until the end of the podcast so that people have to watch us all the way through. So. <laughs> We'll, we'll, we'll let the second half of you guys announce that. So uh, we are excited to have you on the show. Um, now, how, Richard, how long have you been with Derek? About the last week, haven't you? Oh, gosh, since, well, Thursday. So, yeah, yeah it's been a week. Tomorrow he God, leaves. Damn, we done we've done so much in the last week. I, I just, I can't believe it's just been just a week. But, yeah, yeah, I fly out tomorrow, so. And, and you guys haven't had any fistfights yet or nothing. No, yeah. <laughs> Far from it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, next summer we'll have to do uh, all three of us together and have us all in the studio together and see if we can get along. I'll buy pizza. <laughs> okay. 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 Sounds good. Uh, hey, uh, Richard, you're. I, I'm going to put this up uh, right now. I, I know most of my... Uh, audience are familiar with with a lot of your works but really truly um you you talk about the origins of christianity and now your phd is in ancient history am i correct that's right yeah columbia columbia university that's right columbia yeah. university yes yes and and from that point on now hey what was your uh what was your dissertation on well, it was uh, it was the natural philosopher in the early Roman Empire, which I became the scientist in the early Roman Empire, um, and it uses the Greek word, so it's the Fusikos. Uh, so it's the dissertation title officially is the Fusikos in the early Roman Empire, but that means essentially that means the scientist in the early Roman Empire, uh, and it was attitudes towards. So it was attitudes towards. Oh, nice! Oh, you froze up. The Fusikos of scientists in that period. No. Are we here? Yeah, you froze up for just a quick sec. Not bad, not bad. Shit. Just a couple okay. of seconds, but anyway. Um, so, so you've talked about the scientist in the early Roman Empire, and That's right. you you've been willing to field questions, and you talk about Jesus, and you talk about the Old Testament, and you're you're an expert in 
pseudepigrapha, which is one of my favorite studies. And you've just, you just seem to have covered the entire ancient world gambit. How did you get interested in ancient history? Oh, wow. Uh, that's quite a question. Um, <laughs> when I, after... Oh, you're freezing up for just a second. Oh, Forget man. Arctic Water Patrol. Or is this just I happening? didn't do anything. Okay. Okay. It's no, okay. You're back. you're back. It froze for a quick second. All right. Yeah, you're back for just a second. It's in and out. I went to college. Everybody in neighborhoods on the internet. Kids are home. I, I mean, mean, yeah, maybe everybody's on the Wi-Fi. I don't know. If I'm a well, not, I want to join. Okay, you're here now. You're here now. Keep going. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to jump in and out. That might be an issue. Um, yeah. So uh, when I went to college, I sampled various majors. Uh, and in the process of doing all the, all the requirements for the upper, to get a major, basically, to do breadth studies right so you have to do history and science and life science and physical science and all that stuff and in the process like all the other majors i found were too boring to pursue and i fell in love with history and i fell in love with history because in college i didn't know this at the time until i went to college but they teach it completely differently than in high school in high school i hated history because it was just memorization names and dates memorization and it was just ugh. Uh, and I was almost most stuff that just wasn't even interesting stuff to study. Uh, there was some interesting stuff, but not a lot. But in college, of course, it's method. How do we know these things are true? Uh, and it's causation. Why did these things happen? And so uh, that's way more interesting. Like, why did this stuff happen? Why are things the way they are? Um, historical causality and then methodology. How do we know these things? You know, what do we not know for sure, et cetera? That made it way more interesting. And of course, you know, because it's adults, they can talk about way more interesting subjects. And so uh, all of that got me. I'm okay, I'm in. Uh, and then when I did uh, Western Civ 1, the whole Roman uh, Empire section, I said, I really am fascinated with this culture. Like, I want to, this is it. I'm going to do this. I'm going to study Roman Empire studies uh, because it's it's got me, right? And also, but at that time, I was becoming an atheist activist because after, in the midst of my military service, I I abandoned Taoism and then became basically an atheist and started getting more involved in the online community at that time, which was, that was a really long time ago. Uh, and um, so I was involved in atheist activism, counter apologetics, right? So yeah. I thought, all right, look, if I do Roman empire studies, it's history. It's a field that has really got, got me fascinated and it's got me passionate and I'll have the skills. I'll have Greek, the Latin uh, and the period and the literature and the whole background for, uh, engaging with Christian apologists for the atheist community more effectively. Cause I said, yeah, I'm going to get a PhD. That will be my, basically the two simultaneous functions of this. Uh, and then my other track of my life, of course, is modern naturalist philosophy. And what was really fascinating when you study like Roman history, Greco Roman history is that that's the origin of naturalist philosophy. Uh, and so that helped my philosophy at work as well. So that, that was, that was the reason. And that's when I got into it. Uh, and it was really Christian apologetics that created my dissertation as well, because there was at that time, there was this fad for claiming that Christianity was responsible for modern science uh, and that the pagans were just they're mentally broken and didn't have any of the right ideas and couldn't possibly have done it. Uh, they needed God and the Bible and Jesus and stuff. Uh, and and, th and so anyway, that I was like, no, like they, they don't even have like any of the facts. Right. Right. Like I'm not even an expert yet. And I can tell they didn't have the facts. Right. So I was like, someone needs to write about this. And so that's what got me involved in that is basically to, uh, to, to build my ability to rebut that argument ended up becoming my dissertation. And so, uh, and in the process, of course, I'm getting more involved in the secular web as an sure. editor there and then um, editor in chief eventually. And then that kept, I'm constantly doing a lot more work in Christian apologetics. And so I'm doing, that's where I get my pseudepigrapha experience and my, yeah. my Bible Greeks experience and all that. And while I'm going through grad school, I'm applying my skills to these research projects at the same time. And so that's how I ended up with New Testament studies background at the same time. Nice, nice. I just wanted you to note the uh, post on the bottom of the screen, my good friend, Trevor Luke, ancient history in the house. He is also a Roman history expert. Oh, nice. So, nice. So he, heard, he heard I was having you guys on and he said, man, I want to watch this. This will be great. <laughs> so here we all are. Uh, Derek, I have a question for you, my dear, good brother and friend. Yeah. How did you hook up with Richard? 
What happened? How did you two first? Mm -hmm. When was the first time? I don't know. I think I was extremely early on in my YouTube career and um, I was exploring. Well, first thing that happened was as a deconverted Christian or starting to realize there's problems. Once you start realizing the Jesus that's portrayed and many, let's just say some of the things, remember I was a fundamentalist most of my yeah, life. So right. yeah. some yeah, of the things I saw, I was like, okay, um, when you take it seriously and you investigate it using historical real tools that help us try to anal an analyze this and then compare it to other figures and stuff, I'm like, why do I not say they really did that? But then I say, Jesus really did that. That just <laughs> yeah. doesn't add up for me. So I started to go, holy crap. None of this is true, and Jesus is really the sun and astrology, you know, Acharya Esther. <laughs> right. Okay, yeah, yeah. So sun, I came in through yeah. a totally fringe mythicist model mm -hmm. and then yeah. had heard about Richard and knew that he blew off the Acharya stuff. But you know, what does Richard really know? And then, you know, he's, um, a, he's a new kid on the block. He, he's this guy, just you know. But then you I, I actually found out that this guy named Robert Price lives an hour away from me. So oh, I went and interviewed Robert Price. He's an hour away from me. And I sat at his foot for practically two years. But at the end of the day, that's how I started getting in, involved with you. And then I mm -hmm. ended up having you and him on an episode together. And I was like, this guy is sharp. And in fact, you kind of wonder sometimes when he debated Bart Ehrman, you like, you wonder like Richard would have probably just been more succinct. And, and, and uh, yeah, I would have debated entirely differently. Uh, I would yeah. have brought up different skills or different points. I would have rebutted him more. So, Both bring their fascinating yeah. information. People who want my Monday Monday quarterbacking on that debate, there's an article on my blog, right? Have a whole like Fisk review yeah. of the Ironman Price right. debate about how I would have done that differently. But, yeah. but at the end of the day, I, I connected with him, and did, then it did was. Did you and I do that? Did we do a show? Maybe we. Maybe it was we did else. on uh, on the Bart. Ehrman. Right. If yeah. you were to debate him, how would you Correct. answer? Yeah. These so there's even yeah. There's a show on. Well, so you've had Bart Ehrman on your program also. I've noticed. Yeah, oh, many times. Yeah. yeah. Many. And, and I loved the interview with uh, you and Richard and Dennis McDonald. And I do believe. I hope he got here tonight. Uh, if you have, say hi in the chat, Dennis. But I'm going to be doing some. Uh, discussions with him on my show. Uh, awesome. Probably give it. Yeah, he is. I love the interview with all three of you guys too. And Dennis is uh, showing an interest in being on my show. So I'm going to really enjoy sharing his stuff. Just blows my mind. Just like some guy named this guy. You know, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen his book. What, what I enjoy is there's just so much new uh, and there's so much uh, greater care uh in not only ancient history but look let's face it whether you're atheist whether you're christian whether you're mormon whether you're ex whatever religion it it really doesn't matter jesus is really the most famous popular guy oh it looks are you still we're back we're back okay you're froze for just a second no big yeah. deal so, yeah, we so what i'd like to do uh if you don't mind I have a couple of questions that I would like to ask you, Richard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's do that. Just kind of, kind of bring us up to date, as it were. Um, your book, uh, twenty fourteen, I think. Yeah, twenty fourteen. Man, that's eight years ago. A lot can happen <laughs> in eight years, right? Yeah, you're back. Boy, it keeps breaking up a little bit, though. Yeah. Okay. So your book was written in twenty fourteen. Or it was published in 2014. It took six years to write, but yeah. <laughs> oh, yes, yeah, of course. That, yeah, I meant that. Yeah, and uh, I got to tell you, seriously, six years to write that size of book. Oh, it's very <laughs> impressive. I, yeah, I, and of course, it's it was that book. It was the three articles I published in, in academic journals and Proving History were all compositions. They were all products of my Yeah, Proving History was also one of the better ones. Oh, you, you blinked out for just a minute. You should be back. I Post. hope I hope. Yeah, we we see the video going in and out, but your audio. Oh, yeah, your audio seems to be reliable. So my audio's re OK. So, so far, yeah, I don't. Well, your video's blanking out, but I don't know if you're I guess your audio is a little bit, too. So let, let's just keep going and hopefully it won't do that too much. 
What has been the impact of your research on the historical Jesus with biblical studies in Jesus in the last? Oh, you think people? So, all right, hang on a sec. We're we're involved. We're engaging tech solutions for uh, awesome the internet. <laughs> no problem. We are uh, we are still here, and we are. Oh, here you go. Christine Garner says, am I dreaming? I have Richard's app. Uh, Chris, oh, Christmas. yeah. Yeah, I, I downloaded that app too. I've got that too. It's wonderful. I admire your work so much. I can't believe it. So many people I love to listen are on the same stream. Crazy. Yes, we're all bandying together for further light and knowledge that Father promised. I don't know if you understand that illusion, Richard, but I guarantee my audience does. <laughs> that, that's one of the statements in the Mormon temples to Adam during the ritual. So, yeah. Oh, here we go. Trevor Luke saying great guy. Hey, to you. Trevor. Yeah. You, you fellow Roman historians, I, I've had wonderful talks with Trevor and he is a manimal, not an animal, a manimal man. He's something else. So, Anyway, while Derek's working on that, why don't we, you go ahead and start talking. What do you believe is your impact in this area? Yeah, it's hard to measure because um, I, I see, so since I published, there were like maybe four or five qualified, people with relevant PhDs who were at least agnostics about historicity. Um, and then maybe one or two more that at least admit it's plausible. Um, since then, it's gone to like, it's like, 27 or 28 now um so there's there's been so i don't know i can't say that i did that um but it is peculiar you know i published in 2014 and the number has like you know tripled and quadrupled since then no, you're just, part of it you're part of it uh, i know i influenced some uh, some scholars like hector avalos because uh, i know he read my book uh and reacted to it probably positively but unfortunately uh he passed away far too young um I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. He had, really? I think he had, he had some sort of aggressive cancer. Uh, that, that oh, took him I'm sorry to hear it's that. A shame, I really loved his work. He, he was doing really innovative. I, I've got his bad Jesus. That was something. Yeah, that's a classic, right? And and that's the kind of thing that biblical scholars usually avoid doing, even the secular ones, because they don't want to anger their religious market. But Hector sure. was like, no, man, this is this is this needs to be said. Someone needs to do this research. And so he does it. Um, but, uh, he was also relevant to, I think he gets a site in my dissertation because he did a book on healthcare and Christianity and, and ancient Christianity. Um, so he, the idea of the, the sociology of healthcare and how Christianity was moving into a market in the ancient world, uh, from that perspective, which is a, a clever way to analyze that. <clears throat> um, but yeah, uh, so I, I don't know examples of, for instance, um, scholars who cite me yet on and making a point. But I keep seeing scholars turning around to positions I've adv advocated. Uh, so a, a classic example is Staples, um, who's a uh, um, student of Bart Ehrman's, uh, came out with his book on Israel. And uh, there's a footnote in there where he says, you know, like the, the old view that um, the view that there's no pre-Christian idea of a dying and suffering Messiah is not tenable anymore. There clearly was. And he cites some, some uh, key scholars there. Uh, it's hard to believe that that wasn't inspired by the fact that I was pushing on that too, because I noticed that as like this idea that there wasn't one doesn't hold up. Like when you check, there's tons of evidence that there probably was, or at least at the very least, it was highly plausible and it wasn't unusual. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, now, now it's become in Staples book, a footnote saying that, well, no, this really, you should just come around to this position. <laughs> and, so, and, and what I think is interesting about your, your, taking that stance as we discussed today i wanted to do a curveball on our audience and i did i think we pitched a hardcore curveball whatever kind of pitch it was it wasn't just a fastball the fastball pitch is the typical mythicist you know rant that we do and today right. it was we're going to discuss a priori jesus existed now who was he and yeah, so and I loved that. I watched yeah. it out of yeah. it on it's, my lunch hour. It shows it's a good you, show. Yeah. Well, I liked it the most because it shows your flexibility as a scholar. Number yeah. one, that you're not a dogmatist in this fight, yeah. but also you have to be as a scholar. Like I said, Richard Carrier. Right, right. <laughs> well, like I said in the show, to do good history, you have to take seriously alternative hypotheses and be able to model them and 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 test them like do do they how well do they predict the evidence etc and that's why like in my book it's i come to one and three is my top right. top margin 
estimate for a historical Jesus, that's actually, that's not a bad probability, right? Like that's, that's a decent odds. Yeah. Uh, so, um, and to do that, like you have to actually see like how, how does the evidence fit this hypothesis? And so you do have to take the other side seriously. If you're not doing that, you're not doing history well. Uh, and so that's, that's what makes it capable. Dennis is here, but I, I hey, was, Dennis. Hi. my Thank whole, you. the whole, just gonna say that. the whole, uh, you know, just, I was getting at is that like, mythicist or historicist for him that model of a pre-existent notion of a suffering messiah figure or suffering servant motif actually fits in his model for historical jesus even more powerful than what i typically hear some right. historicists use yeah there's there's often a, a sort of knee-jerk reaction against any of these suggestions and saying oh my god that would prove mythicism and we can't have it be true then and so they attack the, the underlying theory, even though like I'm explaining like, no, actually it's totally compatible with historicity. <laughs> In fact, it would help you better understand historicist models and make, make better models of a historical Jesus if you, if you include this stuff. This will become yeah. relevant later when I know one of the questions you're gonna ask uh, will, will come yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but another example is um, sure. Bart Ehrman uh, attacked me originally in his book, Did Jesus Exist? for suggesting that early Christians regarded Jesus as a divine being and it's rather interesting that shortly after I published, uh, now he's comes out. Now he comes out with a book where he's flipped over to my side on this and said that yes, in fact, they right, yeah. Well, that since then he's come out with uh, when uh, when did Jesus become God? Is that like, how, Jesus how did Jesus God? how Jesus became God? Uh, where he completely flips to my side and is saying all the things that I was saying about how the definition of God and is and how there's a lot of oh, uh, concepts awesome. of like divine entities in, in Judaism. So there wasn't any, you don't have to adopt Trinitarianism to admit that the earliest Christians did regard Jesus in some sense as a divine being. Uh, and so he's got all the, basically all the arguments that I, I would have cited the book if in on the historicity of Jesus had he done this before, but no, now he yeah. won't give me credit. Uh, so I don't know if I gave him the idea or not, but okay. it is coincidental. Okay. Okay. Like, after Rich, that, yeah. you want the credit, so, I'll give you the credit. Yeah, so I see, I see more uh, of this, and I, I even think, you know, I don't, I don't think, for instance, that Robin Faith Walsh has written my work, um, but, uh, but she's a part of a the sort of scholarly movement I see on the vanguard that's very like coming up at the same time I am, and they're actually seeing some of the same things independently. So, so like her idea of the literary structure, the fact that the gospels are not just collections of oral lore, that they're actually masterpieces of coordinated literature. Like these are these are authors writing books. They got a plan, right? And they're yeah, they're using the skills taught in the schools of the time. And Dennis, Dennis, like, uh, and Thomas Brody before him were pushing this idea for a yes, long time, and people were ignoring it. And now, of course, it's starting to become mainstream. Look, so he, you can't get the backyard professor with names and him not go grab a book. I'm telling you, <laughs> there it is. Yeah, that yeah. that is that a is book. a hell of a book, and it's yeah. huge. That influenced on the history city of Jesus. Book yeah. on Jesus so. Actually, multiple one. courses we've done, you have referenced this, especially in the Gospels. Yeah, but like, yeah, yeah. It's it's a masterpiece, and I think a lot of uh, it's possible. I think I believe a lot of the content of that will filter into uh, Dennis McDonald's synopsis, um, because uh, I, I assume because I assume he's going to be thorough and include all of the different parallels. I'm really looking forward to this synopsis becoming published because. Me too. Uh, no matter what people think of the, the McDonald hypotheses, that synopsis is going to be absolutely priceless and invaluable yeah. for, for looking yes. at all of this evidence. Absolutely. Um, and, and no one else would have done it. That's right. So, no, so like, like we, we need, and yet we need this, this thing. And then like, here we have the scholars going to do it. Uh, I think it's almost done. I think it's almost out. Yeah. So uh, yeah. that I really recommend to people, even though it's not out yet, I've seen parts of it already. And I can tell you, it's it's another masterpiece. It's going to be a crucial a crucial reference in the field, as fundamental as any other that we have on our yeah. shelves. And thank you, Richard. For is it okay if I call you Richard? I've been oh. calling you Richard. Should I call you? Yeah, Richard? absolutely, totally. <laughs> I consider you a good friend already, so you're just stuck with me, pal. <laughs> but but the thing I loved about your book, really, truly, on on the historicity of Jesus, was when you introduced. Uh, Dennis McDonald's writings. Yeah, and, you said you hadn't heard of that said, until you'd seen that. Yeah, I said, right, okay. I said, what? The authors had, of course, once you see it, you go, of course. Yeah, yeah. The, the Bible's <laughs> authors used the Greek authors. That was very popular in that day. And so I, I personally so appreciate the fact that you brought out 
Dennis's materials, Dr. McDonald, because I, I bought every cotton picking book he wrote and I've read them all and I'm going to have him on my show. And he is here tonight. Thank you, yeah. Dennis. Good to see you, my friend. So the, the work is valuable for two reasons, not just the point you just made, but also the methodology he developed, you know, based on the works of Brody, but uh, to give credit to the, to, to that, but um, the methodology is widely applicable, right? So you can actually use that methodology to, to analyze New Testament use of the Old Testament, right? Which is, that's mainstream. Like everybody agrees the New Testament riffs on the Old Testament. But if you really want to like explore that in a rigorous way, you can use the exact same tools that Dennis McDonald developed to, to do that with Homer. So for, and, and other authors, Euripides, for example. So uh, they're very broadly usable tools. Yeah, Dale Allison yeah. also took that subject. And yeah, right. You see, I mean, out. one whether you agree or disagree with him, Dale Allison rocks. The I'm one, sorry. the <laughs> one problem that we find, and this is a problem. I'm all in favor of anything like what we're reading right there, Dale Allison. I, you know, I'm a huge fan of Allison's. In fact, I'm about to promote a course on him, the quest yeah. for the historical Jesus. The only right. problem, and this isn't his fault is that the field is so exclusively focused on, and Dennis can almost finish my words at this point in the chat, on Hebrew Bible. Sorry. Right. Yeah. Um, they're so right. stuck on, and there's they're not wrong because it's like obvious they're riffing off of scripture. And this is Pesha right. going on and other things that are going on. But, but what really gets me is like we, and the Christian communities, the way we've been taught is to like make sure those pagan no-nos, those non-kosher <laughs> people don't touch them because mother Judaism is the mother who birthed Christianity. So you can't have another mother. Sad thing is oh. Judaism has been sleeping around for, you know, centuries before this. <laughs> and that's the fun part yeah. about it. What, what an image. <laughs> I know. Right. Hey, I'm going to try to get some Jewish scholars on this show. Let's show some respect. Will you? <laughs> hey, uh, they'll probably, if they're honest, going to admit, okay. you know, they'll, my daddy they'll, they'll and yeah. I know. Yeah. It's all good. Hey, uh, let's go to this other question, you guys. This is a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Yeah. So let me give you just a quick rundown on this next question. The one in green. Yeah. Uh, I had an argument with a gal. Uh, I had an argument with a gal online and she was actually ridiculing your book on Jesus. And she was saying, well, you know, Carrier, he picked these 48 criteria, right? And so my question is, why those 48? I mean, it's just, it's they're stupid. And so I asked her, I said, well, ma'am, um, which 48 criteria would you suggest? Because he has to pick some criteria okay and quite frankly he didn't pick just a meager 12 he gave us 48 criteria two chapters almost 200, pages. Almost, almost 200 pages yeah, yeah. 200 pages of analysis it blew me away richard and i go what would you do and she said well i wouldn't use any of those right <laughs> so, so why why well, would you, you replace them she had no yeah. answer to that right of like, course Oh, of course. Yeah, right. Yeah. You have cooties. So, so for, for, so for people who haven't for people who haven't read the book, um, these are I have two chapters. What I call what of what I call background evidence, uh, and I I number each item so that it can be isolated and discussed by itself. Because I knew like if you throw a bunch of facts at people, they'll just blank out and just focus on the one thing they hate and ignore all the rest. So by numbering them, I force people to focus on these units uh, of of facts so that you can let's debate this one unit. And then not let anything anything else affect that. And that was the idea. So I gave them these numbers and set them up with a description of what the issue was. And they're elements of background knowledge. So they're basically statements of fact. Some of them are modal statements. They're statements like of what's possible or plausible in context. And some of them are this is what happened. And others are this is what plausibly could happen given the facts that we know. Uh, and so I have 48 of these. And the reason that those 48 are there is because in all my research that I was doing, and even conversations with scholars and such, uh, I would find, I would repeatedly find things that I was finding in my research are just well-established facts, and yet that biblical scholars are not aware of. Um, and, and one is like the example of uh, what we've been talking about, which is the dying Messiah motif. Like there's a lot, there's a lot of like asserting that that was, there's, that couldn't possibly be true. And there's like, actually I'm finding a lot of evidence that it is, and there's scholars saying that it is. So 
Uh, and so a lot of other things like that. And then the, the dying and rising God motif and, and its influence of Hellenism on Judea, which now is mainstream. But back then there was, there was a lot of scholars who hadn't heard There's of it. There's still scholars. That's the problem that are still trying to fight that whole mother Judaism. Yeah, birthed at yeah. all. And it's like, she's Hellenized too. I don't think you realize it. And anyway, there sorry. are even scholars who are like, and these are not mainstream, but but like real scholars, like actual professors with PhDs, uh, challenging things like there was no messianism before Christianity and things like like weird things like that. I'm like that. Okay, so I have to. I have to okay, I got to establish what are the ground facts on, that we're going to build on. Like we had, we got to agree on some facts here. And so the 48 I picked are ones that I found in the literature were not present or or were people were saying the opposite of or something like that. And I realized that. And yet they're, they're, they're ground facts. They're not like evidence for or against the historicity of Jesus. They're all compatible with a historical right. Jesus. Right. Yeah. Uh, so they don't tell you which, what, what's true about Jesus. All they do is they, they tell you um, how to limit your hypotheses about Jesus because they ha whatever hypothesis you has has to like agree with these 48 facts. And so I ended up with those 48. Uh, and then that's, that's how that got constructed. And, and I find like that as time has gone on since I published this, like more of those things that were controversial at the time are now becoming mainstream since then. Uh, and like I said, no, no one's citing me for this. It's just something that happened. So I can't say that I'm the cause of it, but it might be a lot of people are seeing the same things I am now uh, because we're all willing to like look at it with new eyes perhaps. Right. Yeah. So, um, so that, that's, that's the thing that. that if you'd have seen that. my question, I asked Dale Allison Jr. A question about mimesis uh, criticism mm. and pertaining to the Greek epics. And he looked at me and he goes, I'm, and I love him. He's one of the most honest Christians I've ever met because he will say, I think Jesus was a failed apocalyptic prophet, but he still believes in him, mm -hmm. which really does my little fundamentalist brain can't, Get it. Okay. I'm like you, right? <laughs> but I asked him about this and you know, his answer is quite interesting and honest. He goes, I, I don't know. There could be, and I've never been trained to think that way since 1970 something. Mm. He said, I've never thought that way and never thought to think that way. And so, you right. know, there's but it's nice to see that kind of honesty yes. in, in scholars. See uh, my, and I'm not trying to be a, I'm not, my background in the Mormon apologetic materials, mm -hmm. uh, the way the Mormons teach you from two years old up to bear your testimony, right. yeah. month, fast and testimony, meaning I know this church is true. I know Joseph Smith's a true prophet. I know that there's a restoration. I know that Jesus is the Christ. Three-year-olds can't know that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Teenagers very rarely seldom know that, nor do they give a flying flip. Let's get right. real. Yeah. So, so this is a wonderful example of what stumped me as a Mormon apologist as well, as I was saying, why aren't our scholars dealing with this kind of, of research and scholarship right. and analyzing the Hebrew and the Greek, and they're going into the other various cultures. And that is the one thing I have so appreciated with your materials. So I'm not trying to slobber all over your books, but <laughs> no, damn, no. they really impacted my, I, I began buying Dennis McDonald and I found a wonderful dear new right. friend and I explored right. his stuff. I, I know Derek now, all because of you, Richard. <laughs> Okay, let's go to this next question. Uh, okay. Oh, whoops, whoops. Let me uh, shut Trevor off. Sorry, Trevor. Okay, so on the pink question, thank you for that answer because I want to be able to tell folks, okay, look, I had Richard and Derek on my show and I asked Richard that question. And, and so here is his response from the author. That yeah. Was very so thank you. Right. Thank you you can bullet that, bullet that as two things, just basically – each of those facts is something I found one scholar or another in the field wasn't aware of or didn't think was true and yet was well-established. And okay. two, those are all things that are co totally compatible with historical Jesus. So they're not evidence for or against so that you shouldn't be scared of the evidence. Uh, it's just, it is the fact, the foundation that any theory we come up with has to build on or be aware of and compatible with. And so it's just, it's just the fundamentals, just basically set the ground the groundwork that we're actually going to look at and what are we, what is the context in which we're actually trying to test these two theories. And, and that's what those 48 elements do. They establish the context uh, in which so, this, so this is not a mythicist bias in these elements. You're saying that 
it, yeah, I mean, you could say that there's a motivational bias behind them. Like, oh, to give you an example, yeah. the, the element 12, where I established that all baptized Christians regard themselves as brothers of the Lord, um, mm -hmm. that obviously serves the, M, serves the aims of a mythicist argument later in the book. But sure. the fact itself does not mean that Jesus didn't exist, right? That mm -hmm. it, so so it's, it is just a fact, though, that we need to cope with and accept and not, like, knee-jerk say that isn't true. So you have to, like, okay, well, let's list the verses Let's just establish this so then we can move on, right? And so that's that's an example of why those 48 ended up there. And just to tag on to that point about the brothers of the Lord thing, I've interviewed uh, historicist scholars like Ken, Ken Olson, who talks about the testimony and all mm -hmm. that being Eusebius forgery. But specifically, he he believes there was a historical Jesus just like I do. And he was like, yeah, but I do interpret this brother of the Lord passage of James and Galatians to mean a Baptist or at least a Christian in some sense, whether he was like a separated special category. He doesn't right. take it as a biological. It could mm -hmm. be interpreted that way, but he personally was like, I'm going to go with the thrust of the rest of things yeah, and right. just say that mm -hmm. this is another Christian. And, you know, there are people who disagree and you can disagree. And guess what? Yeah. He doesn't mind <laughs> if you disagree. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, thing I like, the thing I like about this is... Um, so so often when you take a stance like you have, Richard, that is uh, not mainstream, uh, and of course everybody's going to label you well if he's not with us, then he's fringe. Yeah, right. forget, yeah. forget that noise for the moment. It's not mainstream, but it's not it's not for and or against. It's not an either or. We need to get a base, just like uh, we need to make a base of cultures and their information. And I see you doing so. Right. So that's that's really important. Thank you. That's awesome. Great discussion so far. I appreciate you answering these questions on the fly. How many Bible scholars? This is the pink one. How many Bible scholars agreed with your mythic interpretation in the last eight years? Has and I wrote this wrong. Sorry. I I I put it. Has it persuaded the field? Has it persuaded any in the field is more like it because you're yeah, not going right. to change the field in just eight years. But do you see uh, an impact at all? This gets to my earlier point that it's hard to measure who's actually being influenced by my work versus someone who's just coming around to the same position or a similar position on their own. But after I published the book, like I said, there was like four or five of us. Um, and since then, now there's like close to 29. I can't remember what the count is, but the, I actually keep a list. I maintain it now on, I can't remember the name of the blog. It's list of historians who at least think it's plausible that Jesus didn't exist. And some are outright mythicists now that never publicly said it like Carl Ruck. Right. Yeah. That uh, was pretty intense. Oh, Carl Ruck. He is another author that I absolutely have bought everything I can get my hands on yeah. and studied. He is something. Yeah. yeah. So if people are interested in following that, they can go and look at the list and, and I have like the cited evidence. Oh, good. Is that uh, on your blog? Yeah, it's on my blog and I update it constantly. So as oh, far nice. as soon as I find out about a new person that I can document fits, fits the list, I put it on. Okay. Um, good. So, so yeah, so it's, it's now like, you know, well over two dozen. Mm. Uh, so, so I can't say that these people are adopting or saying that my theory specifically is uh, plausible. But they are at least saying that doubting Jesus is plausible. And I can say that there's only one theory so far that's been published under peer review and tested under peer review, if you count Raphael Letaster's book with Brill. Uh, so there's really only one scholarly version of the origins of Christianity without a Jesus uh, that, that has gotten to that level, has entered the literature so far. Um, so, so if people are saying that it's plausible Jesus didn't exist, well, the most plausible theory would then have to be the one that's past peer review would be my position on that. Uh, but, but I can't say, I can't speak for other people. So they, it's hard sure. to like, no one just says, you know, Richard Carrier convinced me like that. I don't have that. I don't have that data. <laughs> and thank you for your honesty. You're right. Of course that, that question's kind of amateur, but, but I just wanted to get a, a feel. It's almost the... like, let's take it to Dennis, our good buddy, Dennis and say, Hey Dennis, who in the field of scholarship is finally going, you know what? You were right all along. It's it's it doesn't usually work that way. Right, what, the yeah. way it does is they secretly go, well, there could be right. Greek influence, uh, yeah. but they don't want to say mimesis. They want to say right. like it's there, right. but it's just in the culture. And Dennis doesn't deny that either. But Dennis goes a little bit <laughs> further and goes, in order to learn Greek, you have yeah. to read these damn books. That's right. And you right. can't you can't not know these Greek ep epics. 
Yeah. And also yeah. the style of when you get to composition training in school, yeah. ancient school, when you get to the composition level, what you are taught is exactly what the authors of the gospels are doing. So you know they got this training because they're using the same skills. And that's what Mimesis criticism does is it basically, it like does in reverse what the authors were taught to do. We're basically like developing criteria to detect when they've done this. But when we say this, we mean a, a thing that they were taught in school to do, right? So, um, and Dennis has, has shown this in his books, um, uh, Birthing the New Testament has a whole huge section on this fact. Um, and and it, it's, it's a well-established fact. So people shouldn't be shocked by it. But yeah. I think as a lot of people don't know this, this is one thing I found is like the compartmentalization of fields yep. is, you know, yeah. biblical scholars will be great biblical scholars, but haven't looked at any of the literature on ancient education. And yeah. so they might have some ideas about it because of little pieces they've read here and there, but, but they haven't, you know, extensively read like what actually was taught, what skills were taught and things like that. And um, it's easily to, it's easy to access. So, and there's a lot of things for me that's like this, that I don't, I haven't gone to deep dive on. And I've done some like uh, Q and a with, uh, Derek here that will show up on for Patreon uh, subscribers will show yeah. up there. They'll pop up. And I, sometimes I have to say like, I haven't dived that. So I don't know. Um, so there's more stuff like that. But when people do say, you know, I really probably should get up to speed on ancient education if I want to understand how the gospels are composed, right? Like that. Sure. And I think that like that light bulb of that connection is something that I think was Brody. Brody might've been the first to have done that. I don't know if anybody before him made that connection. It's like, we really can't study the gospels if we don't do this. But then people kind of largely didn't react to it, right? Like, so it took a while for this to filter yeah, into the field. Yeah, like, yeah. oh, we should probably study how ancient education worked, uh, right? So that yeah. happens a lot in the field. Um, and so, it, it, this, and it's, we're at the point now where I think more and more people uh, in the field, especially the up and coming scholars now, like are, are up yeah. on this. We've got some exciting future stuff come up. Hey, I just want to point out to you, my good friends, uh, Trevor Luke is also a Roman historian and an expert in Roman history. And he said that he's agreeing with you. That's a huge problem as far as the, I think, if I misquote you, Trevor, let me know. But the complete separation, yeah. in compartmentalization of ancient history disciplines and ancient history cultures as if they all lived in isolation we we just know better now and so it's wonderful right. that we're beginning to see a mesh of disciplines yeah this is the, right sure. yeah it's also like the categories of fields of study so like different things that you can study um jewish demonology right like you really can't understand christianity if you don't study ancient jewish demonology but who studies ancient jewish demonology well you have to go look for the scholars who've done that but if you don't think to do that, of course, all your arguments are kind of uninformed by the fact that you don't know these sort of background facts. This gets back to the background facts, the 48 that I thought were essential. Like the rest has to build on these. you got to know these things at least. But not everybody can learn everything, right? So, so this is, you know, a problem. But there is like kind of an isolation between ancient history as a field and New Testament studies as a field. So you have that. And you have New Testament studies. People will like, like dip into ancient history studies, but they're coming from a theology PhD background or a mm. divinity PhD background, they haven't been given the ancient history training. Right. And so that, that sometimes creates a problem as well. It's a fixable problem. Uh, when you look at like, for example, Dennis McDonald's work where like he dives in and gets, you know, masters what he needs to master. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, yes. That's an important book yeah. there because yeah. it, th that's, this that's an edited an anthology, right? Is that, that's a collection. Yeah. yeah this, this right. is one of the conferences Right. on nemesis and intertextuality um, yeah. i'm not kidding he has some serious ronald left hawk George yeah w. this, this is this is a good example yeah this is where scholars start getting interested and now more people are talking about it yeah that is an example of how it's not just dennis mcdonald in his corner doing this anymore like yeah like there, there, are, there are other scholars are like catching on now. and it's so hot that the people who are more fundamentalist are reacting to it. You, yeah, yeah, have you see to that deal too. with it now. Now they're having, oh, I got to silence this thing right, somehow. Right. We got to come you. up with some apologetic. Yeah. 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 And that's a good thing. That means we're making, we're making weight. So. I think so. See, this is what makes it exciting. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you for us podcasters is because we can get a hold of you scholars and we can ask you, okay, hey, what's new in the field? What should we what should we look for? What should we look at? Um, how are you reading this currently? Because a lot of scholars through their research and studies 
will begin to change some of their understanding and all. In in fact, that just leads me right into this. If you don't mind, Richard, I will just ask you this last question. Let you, your elaborations are so wonderful. Have you personally found information or interpretation in your book on the historical Jesus that needs revamping and updating due to ongoing scholarship in historical Jesus studies, such as archaeology, textual criticism, history, et cetera? Would you? Would yeah, you that's uh, a really good question, and it, that's a question I'm constantly asking myself. Uh, oh, good, good. Yeah. So, so far, there's nothing like fundamentally factual. Like there's like minor errors I need to correct uh, that might even be in the corrected edition now. There's supposed to be a corrected edition. I'm, I'm going to contact my publisher like uh, before the end of the year and find out if that's come out. But I just did a corrected edition, which is still first edition, but it's like a lot of little minor things corrected. Um, But then they've already asked me to produce and submit a second edition, which is a proper second edition that will have new information in it. And the one thing that I think needs to be changed is a lot of the places I think the way I've worded things has misled people. And so now I know like how to reword them. So it's clearer as to what I'm the point I'm making. Uh, so, so that's, I think the main thing that has, that I would want to change in the book is like some of the wording and make certain points clearer in order to rhetorically head off, you know, certain cliffs people jump off of as soon as they, they start reading the text. Uh, so that, that's kind of the main thing. And then of course, there's been some research that I would cite that actually further supports what I'm already doing. So there's a lot, just, you know, for example, the Staples book, I would now he's actually, not only did he make that note that I would cite, but he's got, uh, he cites, he found some other scholars that I had overlooked. And so like there's, and this is just making the point more, more stronger, right? Of the book, right? It's just, I'm finding more examples of this, but now like, like Litwa's book on history and the gospels and uh, Robin Faith Walsh's book. Um, the, these are things that, that now become relevant to supporting points that were already in there. So there's actually some scholarship I probably should front load and add to it. Uh, so that, that's another thing that I would change. But other than that, it holds up pretty strongly, especially if you read it carefully, um, like, I choose words carefully usually. Sometimes I flub that, but uh, if people read it carefully, like I, it on the historicity of Jesus pretty much holds up. Uh, and so there isn't really a lot, there isn't anything factual yet that I would change. There's like a few uh, minor errors that I can't even explain. Like I, I don't, there's one point where I do a mimesis argument and I say that, that there's a passage in Exodus where uh, Moses takes his top two disciples with him. And that, that I can't find where I got that. So, so that's a, like a little minor thing that doesn't, doesn't affect the conclusion, but it's a, a slight little error that I need to correct. Um, that might even already have been corrected in the corrected edition. I'm not sure, but um, I can't remember uh, whether I, which, which slot I put that into the corrected edition and the second edition, but there's like little things like that, but nothing like really fundamental that's changed. Good. That's interesting. Um, because it was for one thing, I mean, let's be honest now uh, maybe not to the scholars because they're probably pretty familiar with this field i would imagine some aspects of this field uh but for the rest of us there is a lot in this book to digest now i'm not going to lie to you i'm not technically a scholar but i read and i mean i read lots of books but your book brought that that's one reason I asked you about this 48 uh, mm-hmm. ideas with, with the, with the background study. One thing it was because you were trying to establish a Bayesian theorem approach because that was right. your whole idea. Yeah. Which Probability I, theory. Yes. I think if historians, I, I, if they're going to argue about what's probable and improbable, they really need to understand probability theory more than it's not taught like this the logics and, and probability theory are not taught in history schools, graduate schools. Um, yeah. not, I mean, rarely, maybe occasionally, but Crazy. it's not a normal thing. It really should be normalized. So like, like historians right. need to understand probability theory right. and logic better. Um, right. there, there's another book that I recommend if you haven't read it, uh, is, um, uh, Hockett Fisher's, um, historians fallacies. Historians fallacies. Yeah. Yes. That's one of my favorites. Uh, and it's, it's a good book. It's kind of like a good book to read before or after proving history, because his whole point is he finds all these logical fallacies across multiple fields of peer reviewed history. Uh, and he's, he's kind of funny too. So he's witty, but he, he finds all these mistakes. And towards the end, he says, you know, there's gotta be like some sort of methodology that would uh, define a correct approach to history. And no one's found it yet is, is, is his concluding point. And, and, and I think like, Oh, well, actually I think I found it. 
And and I would like to see more Give engagement. Give it a shot. Give it a shot. Yeah. Well, and I think the other thing you established really well on your on your historicity of Jesus book, uh, and, and it was up at the front, which is what I really appreciated too. Number one, you established that the scholars are not done yet with the work. So there's great hope for us, John Q. Public, to yeah. <laughs> learning. But the other thing you did, which I really appreciated, was uh, when you you demonstrated the, and I know James D. G. Dunn is is big on this, uh, and and I've read him quite a bit, um, mm -hmm. which is unusual for a Mormon. I, I read him as a Mormon, and that was one of the things I was saying. <laughs> hey, why the hell aren't we doing stuff like this? Yeah, but, right. <laughs> this idea of you showed the criteria of historicity in the third Jesus phase, the third Jesus uh, quest. Book. Yeah. Quest. Yeah, thank you. Uh, that the criteria just don't work. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> I can't right. say it any other way. They yeah, just yeah, yeah. don't. And and since then, hang on, I'm not leaving you. Hold on, I think I've got it. <laughs> yeah. So for everyone watching, he re referenced the Ladun volume, which is a edited volume of multiple scholars who have reached the same point that, uh, in fact, I, I've used this text myself and cited it, um, but they've come to the same conclusion. I think that book came out the exact same year that Proving History did. Hmm. So I think I don't cite it in Proving History because it like, I missed it just barely. But it, it, that's a good example of parallel discoveries where I am making this point, citing all these other scholars, everyone who studied the methodology and has published a study of the methodology, every single one of those studies finds that the methods don't work. And then, and I published this with these other scholars cited, you know, Tucker and so on. And, uh, and then at the same year, bam, Ladun with his edited volume of multiple other scholars saying the same thing. Uh, it just reinforces the point, I think. Jam it, them. I can't find the book. Oh, but they, did, they did a big uh, symposium in honor of James Dunn, but they were showing how his approach to the criteria of history, uh, excellent scholarship, of course, that's not the question, but it didn't have the ability to follow through to the finish because the criterion don't work. Right. They were, yeah. it was the most polite symposium games <laughs> you lost. <laughs> you lost the argument, right? right? Yeah. 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 I can't yeah. find the book, but I promise it exists. So yeah. I, I found do. the same, I found the same result and people who read proving history will, will see the, the sure. results there. And, and I wasn't alone. I mean, I did find a lot of other scholars and people were saying this, like Morna Hooker wrote like, half a century ago an article kind of like this where she was pointing that pointing this out like your your methods don't work people and these people are getting ignored and i think now like it's we're reaching the point where the scholars are starting to notice like oh you know our methods don't work maybe we should change them uh and so that that's it's it's a shame that it's taken so long to figure that out well it is and there's been a lot of ink and gladly not a lot of blood yet spilled on it <laughs> hopefully there won't be we've had enough of that noise uh, it's time for us to all get together in dialogue and share our information and our differences and our similarities and recognize, look, we're all on the same side here of trying to figure out what is, right? And, yeah. and, and what isn't. And for Pete's sake, what works and what doesn't. If you don't have something that works, there's no point in just continuing continuing to pursue that avenue and i'm saying this out loud so that uh perhaps the mormon leaders can figure that out yeah right eventually i'm not trying to diss on them but wow <laughs> the reason i can't be an apologist anymore is because i i can't defend the indefensible and, and tended, I, I have not really thought of this but i've tended to find mormon apologetics much, much weaker than evangelical apologetics. It's like the evangelicals have figured out they need to up their game. Mm. Uh, and, uh, and and so they're, they're sneaky in the way that they do this. But nonetheless, they're like doing more serious scholarship, uh, even when it kind of undermines them. Now, there's, this is resulting in certain people getting fired uh, when they overstep the line, right? Uh, so so they have to tread the line very carefully. It's like what's safe to say and what's not. But um, but you're, see you're seeing that happen in a way that like if you compare it with Islamic apologetics also is like a hundred years behind everybody else because it just hasn't been tested as much, hasn't had to deal with the kind of criticism 
yeah. it's not getting out in the world and doing that, right? It's, so um, it sounds like Mormons are doing the same thing that's kind of hurting their own field. Thank you for saying that. That's that's important. Uh, I do know I have Mormons in my audiences, and I do know I have Mormons watching this, and that's important to say, not in a manner of, oh, you know, being rude and saying you're not with it, you got to get with it. But quite frankly, you're not with it yet. You do have to get with it. There's work to be done. Yeah, right. Beautiful way to put it. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. And, and it's, oh, here's the catch with that is uh, the leadership are really squeamish about uh, coming to conclusions that they don't like. And, yeah. and so in a way, they're, the scholars are hamstrung somewhat. They are getting right. uh, a little bit broader and capable of, of, there's a little leeway, not a whole lot, but anyway. So, okay. Um, I had... Unfortunately, I don't have a call-in line like uh, they do on Mormonism Live, so I can't have anybody call in. <laughs> we've got just enough time for, we've only got one hour. These guys have been busting their butts. Oh, oh, tell, tell, I am so sorry. Tell us what you're up to. What have you oh, been yeah. doing? Oh, um, yeah. I take my eyes off you two for five minutes. And you <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is literally the last, the last work doing. thing that we're doing. This yeah, it's after week. this, we're kicking back legs up. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I fly home tomorrow. So. Oh, we, oh, thank you for coming on tonight, Ben. What okay. we did, just to make it brief, and if you feel like elaborating, sure. feel free. Yeah. But we took, so we planned it out to do six, and we decided to do five once we realized what kind of can of worms we opened up. It's on a lot of work. Do. Yeah. It's yeah. unbelievable. So yeah. maybe in the future we plan another thing um five college course level material systematically taking you it'll be online it'll be edited it'll be a uh, purchasable course that's affordable yeah it'll be each one is an eight lecture course yeah um and with the lectures come syllabi like with suggested readings uh and and really it's gonna be just you know a lot of visual and audio information as you watch each lecture. And then if you want to dive further, like the suggested reading. So you have a scholar telling you what things are the important things to read, right? So like, that's one of the right. values of it. But also you just get to like hear and watch uh, the presentation of the information. Yeah. And so we're doing this with five courses. I've got New Testament studies for beginners. So basically if you want to have, if you want to like analyze the Greek of the Bible and you haven't, you're not a master of Greek, you haven't taken Greek courses, there are tools that can help you. You, you won't mm -hmm. be as good as a scholar who knows Greek. But it, there's more access to that biblical text, the underlying Greek text, created by online tools than, than I think for any other literature that I can think of. Um, although Perseus is the Perseus at Tufts, which is a site that I teach. I have a lecture where I teach people how to use the Perseus mechanism online. It's a free resource uh, for exploring Greek grammar and 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 definitions and things like that. They're also they're building out their Arabic uh, and they they've, they're almost complete with their Latin collection as well. So they started as only Greek, but now they're building out other languages. But the tools are amazing, and so uh, part of what we do in, in New Testament studies is teaching that, like how do you have these skills? How do you get at the literature? Yes. What do you do with the literature and all of that? Yes. And then I've done mythography of the Gospels. So I talk about what is myth, and then go through all the Gospels and why they're myth. Uh, and then the mythography of the gospel according to Mark, where I just show the entire gospel of Mark as myth, like just entirely. It's not history. It's not oral lore. It is well-crafted, brilliantly crafted, in fact. Uh, it, once you get done studying these things, you realize like how genius these authors were, right? Uh, they're doing it in a low dialect, right? Like a popular dialect, but they're, they, right. these guys are not bumpkins. Like they're, they're, they're master literary authors. Um, anyway, so that was, that's another course. And I do um, naturalism as a worldview, which is uh, basically for people who want to know, well, what do you believe if you're not going to believe in God? Like, so it, it's a positive belief course. So it's not about like why you should ditch God necessarily. Uh, it's about like, well, what do you replace it with? What, how do you explain the world? How do you explain beauty? Uh, how do you explain all of these things? So it's, it's that kind and of course. And you get into moral, morality. Morality, in it, so politics. There's... Like how do you approach all these things once you've abandoned a biblical basis for it? And all well, of this is in your course. Oh, this is just is one it? course. No. We have five courses. We have five courses. And so, there are so. eight lectures and they're at yeah. least four, maybe five, maybe okay, five and a half how, how, do we, how, do we, how do we tap into these courses, Derek? What, what when they're you? out, I'll get you the access to the link. And in fact, I'll make sure that you're hooked up. So if anyone purchases the course through you and they're affordable as it is, you can also, it'd be supporting you to make a commission 
um, on selling the courses, educating the general public, and mm -hmm. it also helps the people who are selling the courses. So it's an incentive for everybody. The scholar gets paid. Yeah, that's very nice. Okay. Yeah. The scholar gets paid. The people who are selling the courses get paid. And then, of course, the people buying the courses technically are getting yeah. paid with such paid. amazing information and lots of reading up. It'll have MP3 in case you can't watch it and you just want to listen while you're on a walk or mowing the grass, whatever. You can Gosh. drive listening to it, not have to watch it. There's, there's Although a lot they, of stuff. they all do contain a lot of really interesting visual Visuals. information. So yeah. uh, I, I would imagine so. I would want the visual. And it's all in 4K, so extremely high quality content. Oh, nice. so these these yeah. will probably drop one by one across next year, right? So just keep your eye out for that. Okay, excellent. Right? Yeah. Oh, I'm excited. So we, we already have one that's public with M. David Litwan, Seven Ancient Mystery Cults. And that's and, a really good course. I recommend that. Like, it's a really good coverage of the subject. And he talks about, like, literally the Eleusinian on Isis Osiris. You name it. Like, yeah, he goes through mystery cults, what, what they were and, and all that. So it's, it's Mithras, nice you didn't skip Mithras, did you? Um, I don't think he gets into Mithras <laughs> as one of them. Um, and... He didn't need to. When you watch it, it's like, whoa. And he compares it to Christianity at the end of the day, and you right. see a lot of mystery language. But then the one that's coming out next is Delcy Allison Jr. Yeah. It's really a oh, historiography cool. of the quest for the historical Jesus and how, just to give you a little tease, you got Protestants. What are they doing? Protesting the Catholics. What are they protesting? All these made-up BS miracle claims that the church is claiming saints have performed, plus the indulgences are happening, all this stuff's going on. So now they have reason to criticize, and they criticize rightly all of the erroneous nonsense that the Catholics said. Then, because they wanted to be consistent, they started <laughs> to take that scalpel that they used on the Catholics and realized, hold on. Our Bible, something's up. Even Martin Luther <laughs> kind of hints at it when he goes, this book is nothing sacred, brother. Right, I know. So next thing you know, it was actually thanks to the Christian Protestants from which all of our Mormons yeah. derive their tradition. Sure. Everybody kind of comes so, out of Yeah, so the Allison course goes over the history of questioning the Bible. From the beginning all the way to, John, well, I guess John oh, Donald Crossan yeah, is the I last author yeah. he gets to. So, so if you want to like study, like how has this changed? And who the, the last... main figure, Schweitzer, uh, Friedrich Strauss, all of these major history, all he, of them. Makes, yeah. He examines yeah. them up close in this lecture course to get you, and then so you you can see how the study of the New Testament has changed over the last few hundred years, and especially like the last couple decades, right? So, um, yeah. so that's a cool course if you really want to like arm yourself in that. That's I think topic. anyone, even Christians or within, should yeah, check this true. out. Yeah. Because if you think it's these non-Christian, our other worldview that's driving us, you need to look inside of your own community to realize it was Christians who saw it and were being honest as much as they humanly could that started to come to these conclusions. And all we did was recognize, yeah, they're on the right track. It, you know, awesome? so... Yeah, it's yeah, it's amazing yeah. to see that a Christian is the one that comes up with this. Also, James Tabor on the Gospel of Mark. But yeah. then we've got five that are going to come with him. I've got John Dominic Crossan coming up. I've got Robin Faith Walsh coming up. There's all of these college-level courses. We're going to make them accessible and affordable. Now, listen, listen I'm going to cool. say this on public to put you on the spot. Sorry, don't kill me. <laughs> Yeah. But I, I need you to tap me into these scholars and I can help tout these courses. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, There's, I would love to be a part of this, man. This well, when his courses awesome. come out, we have an affiliate program where not only you can make an incentive for anyone who signs up for the courses, but we'll give a window of time for the academic. And some academics maybe are different about their time, but sure. but uh, give like a 15-minute window to promote the course and why they need to get this course and things like that. And um, that'll give you the option to promote it. I mean, you're going to love the content. Without a doubt, oh, yeah. it's good material. I know that. Absolutely. Yeah. No, you guys, I, I just can't say how fun this has been. I can't say it enough. Thank you again for Yeah. We're, we're cool. out of time. So we're going we're gonna to head off for now for my audience. Thank you for watching. All and right. I've appreciated all your comments. And uh, we will continue our analysis of biblical scholarship and ancient history and discussing the relationships of all of the various interlocking literatures. Uh, Richard, if I can say so also to you, uh, if I can ask you, 
may I have you on my show again so that we can go more yeah. in depth in some specifics? Yeah, absolutely. I, I can be I difficult. Like it might take like a couple months. We need to schedule like a couple months in advance, but, but absolutely. This, this is, this is what I do for a living and, and I love doing these shows. So um, absolutely. Well, I'd love to have you back if you would, that would be mm -hmm. a ball. So yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, uh, we'll, we'll get together and uh, I'll, I'll make that happen with you, man. Yeah, I'm looking cool. forward to that. <laughs> and you, Derek, young man, you and I have a date with destiny as well. <laughs> yes, we do. Okay. You guys, thank you so much. I appreciate right. you showing Bye, up. Guys. To my audience, we will be back on Sunday for Radio Free Mormon. I have him on Sunday. He is the wow. single most Mormon influencing podcaster who is no longer technically a believer on the planet. So you mm -hmm. won't want to miss this show. It's going to be a lot of fun. Wow. We're going to be talking about Elder David Bednar's current discussion on why critics are unreasonable. And so we will discuss why we don't think we are unreasonable. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Sunday at six o'clock for all of my audience and for you two gentlemen also, you're more than welcome to come on this live show again and we'll we'll get you hooked up with Radio Free Mormon. So thank you, you guys. We're going to head out. We're going to let these guys get some rest. Appreciate all your support. We will catch up with you Sunday. Have a great evening and be good.